0: to Volume 1, Issue 16 of the Kane and Rince podcast. This week, we welcome Adam Capone to kane and Rinse. You may know him as that oddball who does the weird monologues and fucked-up edits for the Joypod podcast. You may know him as the man who made the wonderfully unsettling and poignant video, Nintendo, a sad story, or as the talented artist who has worked on a host of games from Gears of War to Terminator Salvation. Most likely, you're known as Peter Molyneux 2, a.k.a. Peter Molyneux On Twitter, a quite brilliant and no less controversial satirical alt based on the rambling specifically of Lionhead, Peter Molyneux, but also games designers in general. In this issue of the podcast, we attempt to get to know this internet polymath just a little better. Uh, With me, Leon Cox, today is Tony Atkins. Hello. Hi, Tony. Hello. You sound Uh, ill,
1: dude.
0: Yeah, I'm getting over my second uh, bout of illness of the year, and the year is less than three weeks old so I don't know what that's all about but um, hopefully I won't be doing most of the talking today Um, although if anyone's listened to the latest issue of the Super Happy Fun Time show they'll know it's hard to shut me up Uh, and also of course we have to welcome to the show our special guest our second interview subject Mr Adam Capone well hello there (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, David will thank you for that, yeah
0: <laughs> Yeah, I like it, I like it um, I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with uh, JoyPod And if not, we why
1: have, not? Yeah, yeah
0: well, We have yet to have a, a JoyPod guest uh, on Canaan and Rinse But uh, it will happen, definitely will happen So how are you doing, Adam? How's life in Canada?
2: Doing great Loving Canada and everything's going swimmingly
0: Really? The job's good?
2: Yeah, it's... Uh... My favourite studio I've worked at so far. So. Cool. Good.
1: And of course, we'll you can't tell us anything that. that we need to know. <laughs> we want to know.
0: No, we can't talk about your current project, but we can talk about uh, everything else, so we will. Um, Adam, the other day you posted a picture on uh, your Facebook of a snack. Uh, I think you went to a, a hockey, ga- ice, ice hockey game, which is something I've always wanted to do. Um, and you ate this snack. What was it called?
2: And that was poutine. That's uh very um, Canadian delicacy.
0: Yeah, so I, I looked it up on Wikipedia. Can you describe it for our listeners, please?
2: It's basically hand-fried um, fries with lots of cheese, melted <laughs> cheese,
0: and uh, gravy. Yeah, cheesy chips with gravy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's
1: a northern dish. Um, that's the thing.
2: I'm, I'm sure you could get those from fish and chip shops, but this is slightly different.
0: And, and they all sit around the ice hockey eating this. Is this like, you know, we have a pie or, 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 a, or a burger. They have poutine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Is it deliberate that it sounds quite close to poontang? Uh,
2: I don't know.
1: Not on their part, I'm sure. Did it, did it have at least a maple leaf or something on it to be any more stereotypical? No. No, uh, disappointing.
0: Are you in, are you in a, which part of Canada are you in so we can locate you on the map?
2: Uh, Halifax,
1: which is part of Nova Scotia. Are
0: you sure he's um, not in
1: <laughs> up north? He's in Halifax. Halifax. Yeah.
0: So that's that's uh, New Scotland, of course. Yeah, um, I believe that's where Dominic Diamond, formerly former Games Master presenter and guest of a digital, it is, yeah, uh, emigrated to 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 be a farmer. You could you could look him up.
2: Go over and tell him to do Games Master again.
0: Yeah, in our dreams, in our dreams. So right, Capone. Um, you were, you, were, you said you were flattered, but also slightly nervous about doing this, but I hope now you're here, it doesn't seem like too big a deal.
2: Mm, it's going okay so far, but once you start asking those really scary questions, okay. yeah, I'll probably fall apart.
0: <laughs> okay, I look forward to that. So let's start at the very beginning. So Adam, um, people may know something about you, but even those who are familiar with your work may not know uh, sort of biographically so where are you from where whereabouts uh, i assume you're from the uk
2: yeah that's where i was born i suppose uh, originally uh, born in portsmouth
0: oh okay that's not so far from me uh and you have uh you have a sort of northern twang to your accent
2: Mm, yeah well in 1990 i believe i moved over to york Aha, okay. Hmm. Which is sort of northern. Yeah. Uh, that was when I was 11.
0: Okay, right. Um, excellent. So, and one thing that's always fascinated me, it is a bit of a cheesy question, but um, <laughs> the, the, the surname Capone is quite unusual, I would have suggested, in, in this part of the world. Um, have you ever looked into the, uh, the etymology of that?
2: Yes. My great, 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 great grandfather was al capone
0: wow is that actually true <laughs> <laughs> no that's a lie i thought so we've got to watch out for this with you um you could barely see through that lie yeah mm. so you've not looked into it at all no but it's your genuine family name capone yeah. Yeah. or Capone, so, caponi uh,
2: comes from my
0: father who's okay. full italian oh okay yeah. right well, that makes a hell of a lot more sense. See, I always uh,
1: still d- thought it was like a pseudonym, pseudonym still, even though you were like, oh, this is my real name. It's always hard to to judge. Yeah,
0: no, nah, it's definitely my real name. So did the kids uh, do all the predictable gags at school, presumably?
2: It's actually more the adults that do it. You know, if you're going to fill in forms or something at a bank, uh, they'll say, yeah. oh, does, do you get, do you get <laughs> other people telling you?
0: Yeah, like that. I'm doing now. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I've yeah, got never. the excuse of interviewing you, but yeah, I can imagine all. Oh, don't don't rob us while you're here, mm. Mr. Capone. Yeah, uh, all that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, do you speak any think... Italian?
2: Um, just the basics. I wish I knew the whole language,
1: but
0: I will one day. I will. Really? Yeah. Mm, cool.
1: It's pretty. It's a pretty classy language. It's good.
0: I would like to hear you do uh, some uh, podcasts in Italian, even though I wouldn't understand what was going on. That would be really cool.
1: What were you like as a kid growing up in school? I mean, were you, were you a class clown, a nerdy kid, the artsy kid, a tech kid? I assume yeah, you I weren't a probably...
2: jock. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> I was more of uh, a class clown that nobody found funny, which is not too much different from... Well, I am now. <laughs> was that
0: a, was that a, was it deliberate that you you made yourself that role at school? Uh, you enjoyed the attention, or was it getting deep? Was it?
2: I, it... I just found school really boring. Yeah, um, I did really bad um, in school. It's only when I went to like college and stuff that I did well.
1: So, so then, at what point at school where did you find you had this ability to kind of be artistically talented? I mean, was it an early age? Did you find this out? Or was it a much later period, maybe right after school? Yeah, going to it was college? quite
2: early. I mean, I remember doing uh, cartoons from the age of four, mm. drawing monsters. Yeah, that's the thing. At school, I'd mainly be at the back drawing monsters. <laughs>
0: Have you kept any of your pictures of monsters?
2: Um, quite a few, yeah. But I don't really make a point of keeping them. I used to make a lot of comics and them out around the oh, school. Oh, brilliant. And um, the best thing ever was my James Bond's dog uh,
0: comic. <laughs> James Bond's A dog. A comic
2: about James Bond dog. Because, uh, like, during... When I was at school, we had, like, this internet that was only connected to the school. So if you sent an email, mm. you could only send it to people in the school.
1: Mm. Internal mail, yeah. And
2: I'd... I'd spend every lunchtime working on um, a James Bond dog comic that consisted entirely of uh, clip art. <laughs> that's
0: a, is a, hopefully that isn't something you've taken into your professional career of just using clip art.
2: No, but I think that's like an early sign that I was a genius. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: well, so, so what was yeah. the point then that, that you decided, you know, I'm, I'm drawing dogs of James Bond's dogs? To, I could probably take this outside of doing this as you know, just fun to and a career path, or was that just something you stumbled into and a, a job you picked up early on?
2: No, it's just fun, really. I've always just found that I create. I prefer to create than to consume.
1: Mm. Um,
2: that's definitely something that's stayed with me even up until now.
0: So, but uh, presumably, um, as with most of us and many of our listeners, uh, you were a games player as a kid. Um, you were consuming a certain amount of video games. Um, what, what were your sort of formative games and systems that you played on? What inspired you?
1: Um, I,
2: I played most stuff. I just remember the main thing that sort of, Made me pay attention to video games was um school days okay on um, the spectrum. I just remember always being fascinated by that because you sort of it was a bit like living life or something you know? yeah at two thirty you had to be at maths at three thirty you had to be in science, but you didn't have to go to science, mm. you could just go. To maths and beat up kids, and it was like the first game that I experienced where you could just sort of make up your
0: own rules. Yeah, it was unusually flexible for the time. I think that's why it's gone down in history as being, I guess, it's like an early sort of attempt at a, an open world or or free mm. roaming adventure, if you want. Um, I think it was the first GTA in a way. Yeah, you may you may be right there.
1: So I'm, I'm guessing 1980s. So you're the same age as me. So Spectrum was pretty early on as the first console you owned. A little bit before that,
2: um, that was the first uh, console that I owned. No computer. Yeah,
1: true. Actually, very true. Yeah, Yeah.
2: (laughs) get it right. Then I had just about everyone after that.
0: So, who are some of your favourite developers? And indeed, um, what are some of your favourite games, graphically speaking? As you became an artist yourself,
2: um, my main passion really is um for me to. Ueda
0: mm-hmm.
2: of uh Ico Eco and Shadow of the Colossus. Mm-hmm. I love um, Yoji Shinkawa is uh, the artist on Metal Gear Solid. Right. Really love that stuff and the first Resident Evil. Love the Mario World and Super Mario Kart, those were big
0: uh
2: influences on me. Flower as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Cause no other game can you control a flower. Mm, no, not that I can think of.
1: Well, what was the game some... that um, tipped you over the edge? That you know, this is something maybe. You know, and it, I always find the game industry a, a weird um, thing to talk about because you can enter it in so many different ways. You can be obviously be a programmer, an artist, um, and almost an engineer. There's so many things you can do. So, which which was the game that kind of tipped you over the edge, or was it? a number of games or a period in life that you went, actually, no, this is the point. This is something I want to be in. Was there any one particular um, memory from that?
2: I think it was definitely sort of... Well, I always wanted to be involved in the games industry. Um, 1995, I think, was a strong year, like with um, Final Fantasy VII mm. and Metal Gear Solid. Um, but I never, for a long time, I just didn't believe that I could... Like, 3D was just really scary. Mm. So I just concentrated on 2D, um, got involved in a graphic design course for four years. Okay. And at the end of that, I was sort of realizing that I was setting myself up for a life of making leaflets for Tesco's. (laughs) So I had to make a drastic change. And towards the end of the graphic design course, I started to learn... 3D packages Mm. and became familiar. I actually remember that for my final projects, I was actually using 3D graphics in my graphic design work. Mm. And I was like the only one doing that. And then I just decided that I wanted to really pursue this and went on to a course that, Uh, concentrated on video game art.
0: Oh, right, okay. Where did you do that?
2: That was at uh, University of Teesside, which is a horrible place.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, I think a lot of Teessiders even would probably agree with you. Uh, Yeah. So Um, what was that course actually in, then?
2: um, The actual name of it was BA in Computer Game Art. It's quite a new thing at the time. Yeah, I bet it was. Um, And, you know, in the early days, those courses were horrendous. I think they still are, really.
0: Yeah, and assuming that, uh, I assume then that 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 degree, that qualification was completely instrumental in you getting your first job.
2: No, not at all. (laughs) Um, In this industry, um, grades don't mean anything. Uh, It's actually your portfolio. That gets you the job.
0: Okay, I got like uh, the
2: best grades, but they're just they people. When I go to interviews, they just don't care.
0: They look at uh, how how do you um you see this is my position as a as as a as an outsider. Um, how do you present your portfolio in an interview at a, a studio? Do you is it um like on a USB stick these days, or do you have one of the big old fashioned folders with big pictures in?
2: Uh, it used to be in the olden days, but now everyone just uses um, like
0: a website, basic Online, website, right. just
2: one page, just full of uh, thumbnails.
0: And you have yours at CaponeArt.com. dot com. If people want to check out your work. So your first gig, uh, was a professional gig, was in uh, it was it's an outsourcing studio? Is that right? In Amsterdam. That's right. Streamline studios. So, again, for those of us who don't work in the industry and just think that games tend to get made by all those developers we're familiar with, what's the role of, of an outsourcing studio like Streamline? I guess it sounds fairly self-explanatory, but just for the uh, for those of us who are a bit stupid.
2: um, You get a lot of levels these days of uh, outsourcing. Um, a common practice is that outsourcers will just create the non-glamorous stuff for a video game, mm-hmm. such as, you know, the props or the boring stuff. But, you, you know, more increasingly, you get larger outsourcing studios that are involved with, um, I mean, towards the end of Streamline, uh, we're working on, we're doing concepts, oh. game design, uh creating the art assets, and then integrating them into uh, the, stu- the developer's um, engine.
0: Wow, okay. That's quite interesting. So when you started off there, presumably both as a newbie and at the state the industry was using these studios at that point, you were just yeah ma- making objects for existing game worlds in the style of that game? or Yeah. Is that... But then... As, as time's gone on, you have found yourself actually more involved in having a creative hand, and that, that must be satisfying.
2: Yeah, I think well, where it like been going is that instead of outsourcing um, studios, try, outsourcing studios try to become partners with other studios. Right. So that instead of being seen as like a sort of outside company, they're sort of um, exclusively help certain uh developing studios Mm -hmm.
0: so what were some of the games you worked on at streamline what was the first game you ever worked? can you remember the first thing you ever drew for a game that you knew was going to be used
2: oh my god that was um saints Rome. i remember my first project was to create a brothel <laughs> um, Somehow that fits perfectly. And I started with really small, the small props, which included dildos and condoms, of course. That was Excellent. Quite bizarre. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of funny that. I mean, at the time, Saints Row, the first one was supposed to be the Xbox Grand Theft Auto.
0: Yeah, it was. Yeah, right.
2: And it's changed quite a lot recently. Hmm. Would you liked to have
0: worked on the on the latest one, the 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 insane insanity that is Saints Row the third?
2: Yeah, because now it's got its own sort of identity, whereas before it, when I was working on the first game, it just felt like a cheap rip off.
0: Hmm. Mm. D- when you're uh, when you're creating art of dildos, condoms, whatever for a game, are you working from life or from pictures or <laughs> experience? <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's usually. Uh pictures on the internet.
0: That's good to know. So, uh from Saints Row, what else did you work on while you were at Streamline? Any any interesting games or or uh, or objects that you got to make?
2: Uh worked on Gears of War.
0: Never heard of it. <laughs> what what did you make for Gears of War? Um a cupboard.
1: On <laughs> 8, on 8, 6, 9, I know, I it's exciting. I think I've chainsawed that cupboard. So
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is it it was it an interactive cupboard that could be Could be uh, split apart, or was it one that just sat there in the background?
2: Uh, They all fell apart. Dad. you have to build the
0: destructive, destructive.
2: Is that a word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Destructive version as well. So
0: you, all right? So you, you make it, or you draw it in several ways, or uh, you know, including so the components of the cupboard that you've made also need to be there, but broken apart with splinters and yeah. There's different states.
1: See, that makes me laugh, because you wouldn't expect, you know, obviously that engine, you, you'd think you'd be able to build everything in, and that they wouldn't be going to an outsource studio to build certain stuff within that, or Epic themselves. But It's know. just
0: manpower, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. it's. Um, I think a lot of people sort of underappreciate sort of how much does go into making video games in terms of, like, you assume that, you know, because... Like, with some engines, they do have, you know, uh, real-time life, real time lighting or whatever. But a lot of games, mm-hmm. like, everything has to be redrawn depending on what time of day or night it is and stuff like that. I assume you've got experience of doing different objects in different lighting conditions and stuff like that?
2: Um, especially this generation where uh, normal maps were introduced. Um, if you don't know what normal maps is... Yeah, explain that's... normal
0: maps. I remember them coming in, but I don't actually know, sort of. And the most
2: basic term is that it's cheating detail. So if you've got like flat polygons, you can get the most bang out of your buck by cheating lighting. Okay. And and if you do this, um, then you can't, because in the olden days, like PS2 and backwards from that, uh, when you do paint textures, you'd have to paint in shadows and lighting. Yeah. Whereas now if you've got normals and specs uh, specular maps, mm-hmm. uh you kind of just depend on the engine lighting. So you try to avoid doing any too dynamic lighting and shadowing.
0: Okay. So in layman's terms, explain to us you uh creating an object. So are you actually say you're designing this cupboard, um you're designing it as a piece of furniture, you know, aesthetically, but then you're also drawing the wood and you're, you're, are you creating? Are you
1: modeling it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And creating these textures and specular maps and all this stuff. That's all part of the same. That's all part of your job.
2: Uh, Actually, when I joined Streamline Studios, I was um, just a texture artist and I was just painting Okay. Uh but since then, I've just become both model and texture.
0: Okay. Um, some of the other games you worked on at Streamline: um, Unreal Three, uh, Overlord, Rogue Warrior, and the infamous uh, Terminator Salvation, which you oh, went. Oh wow! Yeah, you went on an, on a sort of quite a um an ironic uh, publicity campaign for Terminator Salvation. I can I can only assume. Because you were aware that uh, all was not well with the project. Um, it was like you were... It seemed quite risky at the time that you, was, you seemed to be sort of taking the piss out of the game that this game you worked <laughs> on, but um, the studio obviously no longer exists. Um, right. Were you aware that that was on the cards or anything like that?
2: Well, I think the main problem with... With regards to the studio closing down, I mean, at the time they were working on three games: mm. there was Terminator Salvation, um, Wanted, and yep. Beyond It Commando. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's just a bit too much. But yeah, that it's like the most frustrating thing because at the start of the project for Terminator Salvation, you know, there's like months of pre-production. Mm. Um, we had this design document that was completely different to what it turned out to be, that was really just innovative and Mm. creative. And, like, we had some of the best concept artists around. And we are like, producing beautiful concept art just for, like, the roof tiles of a certain building in Mission 6. (laughs) It's so much work went into it but it just gets totally ignored because the game was bad well, what's, what's so the process of that? So i
1: mean we're, we're, we always say that no one sets out to create a bad game so what's the process nah. between you know good concept art because you're not going to try to make a bad game and the end product where is, is it just time is it money is it the studio being told it has to go out now because the film's out now i, I know terminator in particular is a very Specific product because it has to be released when the film's out. So, was it more time than anything?
2: It's mainly that. Yeah, they just want to they they start building like a prototype quite early on, and it usually happens that they realise too late in the game that they've they're just running out of time, so they have to make it like something that's already existing in, in the industry. Mm. I mean, at first it really wasn't like a Gears of War title. Right. Um, but then, you know, when that was really popular, it was pushed into that direction.
0: So in your head, when you were first put on this project, you were thinking, awesome, I'm going to be involved in making the definitive terminator experience i assume you know you're you're familiar with if not a fan are you a fan of the movie yeah, yeah yeah
2: i was really excited they were going to do some really crazy stuff with that ip um
0: but yeah as it's... an artist presumably you don't know like obviously one of the biggest criticisms aimed at the game is it's not like i've not played it but i gather it's not completely unplayable it's not but it's no. it's ridiculously short
2: yeah, it, the main thing is that it's only got um, about five enemies. Yeah, it's five enemies. Game. You got
0: yeah the spider
1: crab type enemy, the flying enemy, and then you got the T two thousand type enemies. I think there's only mm. four actually in the entire game. It's a...
0: and then yeah, it's like a four hour campaign. Easy thousand points. Hey, it is. Tony. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's <laughs> a very easy
1: thousand points. Hence why I play for it. But uh,
0: yeah, I... apparently,
2: it was quite popular in a way because loads of people would at least rent it just to get the achievement
0: that's an interesting thing if we ever do do a show that's Mm. purely about achievements um there's probably a few games that have benefited commercially from easy achievements i'm sure um the the the, the famous avatar Avatar, last airbender king kong although that probably would have done well anyway and a few others but um yeah truth and lies (laughs) another very truth and lies but I know. I mean, um, as as somebody that has played for
1: it, it's certainly not the worst thing I've ever played in my in my life. It was it was playable enough, but I think the most frustrating thing about that game in particular is you could actually see hints of interesting ideas that were clearly just scrapped, and it became you know you had this fairly big open um, world well that seemed to be very sound, uh, seemed to be very um, narrowly. Pushed back into corridors. It was like there's interesting driving sections which is going for far too long. And it seemed like a game of ideas that would just run out of time. And they're right, we've got to ship this product. Go.
0: As, as an artist, Adam, in, in this situation, you're, you're, you're at a third party studio and presumably you've got absolutely zero control about any of this can you even is there any sort of avenues for feedback because you're you know you're a gamer you've been a games player since the 80s and you know your stuff is there any chance that you can at any point say you know this needs work or i mean i assume it's just you know the wheels are in motion the budgets are are there and
2: Um, so we all have our own um, test kit and so we can play the game like every day Mm-hmm. And I was often playing it, and at one point I just typed up this, like, 10-page document that kind of criticised the game and sort of point... Well, in a constructive way, of course. Okay. Um, But that was ignored.
1: So... How, how many months, years of your life was something like Terminator Salvation take up considering you're, you're doing you know, small assets for that game? Are you on for the full uh, production or is it...
2: That was towards the end of uh, my time at Streamline Studios where we, had, we were involved in all processes of the game. And for that one in particular, we spent um, 14 months. God.
0: <laughs> wow. Another uh, title that jumps out at me on your CV um, is this. It says the movies for PS2. Is that was that a conversion of the Peter Molyneux game, the movies for PC?
2: Yep, it's supposed to be a
0: port, and that never came out. No, but it's interesting that you did get to work on a uh, a Lionhead project <laughs> way back then.
2: Yeah, and also my um, only PS2
0: title. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess that was that you just you got into the industry just as the generations were changing. So how yeah.
1: how far down the production line was that before it was finally canned? Uh, only about one month. All right. Oh, okay. And and as as someone obviously you're drawing assets and stuff, but how do you go about conversion of something that's already all that stuff's already in place? Is it is it more of a just a bringing the code across and and changing a, f- a few like completely no knowledge of how you would do this, but you know, what's your point, your place as an artist um, uh, and a modeler I at that point? in this
0: case, Adam would have been sort of down resing art Yeah, assets. it's basically taking these
2: um, meshes with lots of triangles mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. and finding a way of keeping the same sort of silhouette but with less triangles. <laughs> yeah. If yeah,
0: that, that makes, makes sense. Perfect. Yeah, it makes, yeah, yeah, makes complete sense. sense.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah um if you had to do any other um sort of yeah uh generation to generation ports like in that in that same way No I think that's the only one. And you've uh, and not the other way either going from a, a lower res original to a higher say I don't know DS to iOS or something.
2: No luckily I'd, I'd sort of hate that. Would yeah. you? I think that's what a lot of outsourcers get. Yeah. Starting up is those sort of jobs where it's just really mundane there's no creativity in it it's i was gonna say it's al-
0: work yeah i was gonna say it's almost like data entry or something isn't it it's uh
1: well, yeah. i remember um you know ryan astley who who worked on crackdown 2 and etc i remember talking to him when he was building bins and stuff.
2: And, and i was um, his classmate you were AMI, yeah
0: you know? oh okay i didn't know that
1: yeah they, they speak fondly of each other yeah they- yeah <laughs> But, um, I remember him talking about Gears of War 3 and it was a major point of his how the, the art assets of that game were so highly resed but when they actually finally hit the 360 version that they were brought down in, you know, significantly and to him that was a major criticism of the game. And it must be really disappointing I imagine as an artist or somebody that has done such a high res asset and then having to take the triangles out and, and fit it in with the architecture. Or That happens all the time. Is it more mm. of a skill based thing is, that you take pride in that?
2: Um... Well, with regards to down-resin textures, um, you usually find, at first they're like saying, create these lovely high-res textures, mm-hmm. but then towards the end of the cycle, they start to realise that the frames per Frame second yeah. is
0: <laughs> too high, so it's like,
2: well, just half
0: the textures. So you must be really looking forward to the next generation of machines in, from that? regard in that you your your work will be better preserved it's more likely to be
2: well will probably be the other way won't it where we have to make well to be very specific like 2k textures and instead of 1k but then at the end they'll say actually oh, just make it 1k
0: <laughs> so oh, i think okay. it, that will always happen mm. have you got to have you managed to work on any um p. c. games where the the kind of the sky's the limit, and basically I assume like even the highest res textures pretty much get onto the disc, but then it's down to the system of the player as to what how they set it
2: now've almost always worked exclusively with consoles i mean with Unreal Three that was mm. also p. c but I think what happened there is. With the PC, they keep the original sizes, but for the consoles, they lowered it.
0: All right. Okay. So you went, moved on from uh, Streamline in Amsterdam. So how long, how long did you live in Holland for?
2: Uh, nearly five years.
0: All right. And do you speak Dutch. This is a recurring theme.
2: I did a course for six months um, learnt a few basic words and have since forgotten most of those <laughs>
0: words okay you managed to get by nonetheless they speak a, they tend to speak a lot of English don't they good English In they holly. also
2: do the spitting sound which puts me off like oh, the ch- yeah ch- that the, one
0: yeah the it takes a while to learn that <laughs> although you're quite good at it uh, it's just because I've got a cold I think okay um so you came back to Blighty and worked at the prestigious uh, David Braben's Frontier Studios for a bit um, mm. in Cambridge. So uh, now Frontier, I most recently associate them with the Lost Winds games, which uh, came out on WiiWare and have, are being ported to iOS. Um, but you worked on a couple of other things there. Can you tell us about those? Uh,
2: mainly I worked on the since-canned...
0: Uh, outsider. Yeah, another can project. Um that game sounded like it had a lot of promise. Is that how you felt from the inside?
2: Uh kinda the thing with that is that it's been in production for a long, long time. Yeah. And if you're working on a game for like insanely long time, then that genre that the game's exploring. mm mm-hmm. Um there's other games that sort of really change it. Like, I mean, since yeah. then there's been, you know, Just Cause 2, Infamous, Red Dead Redemption. Mm. Um, outside there was a sandbox game, by the way.
0: Yeah, sure. <laughs> so
2: that's why, I
0: guess. But, yeah, so it kind of been left behind by things moving on, you know, in the, in the same way that like Duke Nukem Forever was, only not quite as dramatically,
2: Yeah, my thing is, is that you can add like these new sort of elements to it to try and make it more modern. But if at the core it's based on a dated concept, then yeah. there's nothing you can do really. It's probably best just to start afresh.
1: It it amazes me still though how companies put so much money into these titles and then at some point they can just go, okay, we we'll cut our losses. You know, we're not going to make as much money from this as we're going to put in. But how much money gets put into something like the Outsider before, um, you know? Mm. I mean, how many months, how well, many years were you on that before it finally got pulled?
2: Um, I can't say specifically. <laughs> okay. Um, a long time. But the thing is, is that even if it gets canned, they can still use those assets in That's other true. games.
0: All oh, right. Yeah.
2: Although I don't, I don't think they were used for Disneyland Adventures. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no um (laughs) what was what was it like working because for me as a you know game games fan of long standing um the idea of working for uh david Braben's studio it would be sort of daunting and intimidating this is the man who co-created one of the greatest (laughs) video games ever made did you actually have a lot of contact with him or none at all or and did that affect you in any way knowing that you were working for part as part of this great legacy
2: um well, do you usually only see him in meetings? There wasn't too much uh, interaction.
0: Does he just swan around saying, i made a you know? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, he just sends uh, YouTube links of him doing interviews. <laughs>
0: um, and the other thing you worked on there, and I have you know, fond memories of this uh, for another reason, because you kindly uh, put me in the credits along with... Uh, Tony? you Yeah, were I was there as well. Yeah, yeah, and a few others. Very honored. <laughs> um, uh, and I, to the point that um, if I ever see a physical copy in a shop, even though I don't own a Connect, uh, I always say to my girlfriend, I'm in that game and point at the box, oh, which that, she finds quite That annoying. was
2: so tragic, you know. Kinectimals. Um, yeah, like at, they sent our email one day saying, you know, if you want to put a little message at the end of the game, then, you know, send a message. And I, I kind of, you know, did my thing. And then when the game came out, I sort of realized that everyone had dedicated the game to their family or...
1: We were <laughs> your family. We, we kept you entertained.
2: <laughs> dedicated to people that died recently. And then there's me that's sort of dedicated to my favorite podcast <laughs>
0: presenters. <laughs> Well, we hugely—it's you know incredibly appreciated because for many of us it may be the only chance we get to you know be in any way in a game. And, so.
1: and as respect, I played through the entirety of that game. So, and all I want to know is <laughs> why was it so broken in places? <laughs> but I mean, so but um, in Connectimals specifically, it, obviously this is a product that Microsoft were were you know, very behind because they wanted to push Connect at the time, and it was something that was shown at E3. There was a lot of hype behind it. As a studio, did was there a lot of pressure um, and a lot of interest in Connect itself? Or, or once again, were you kind of kept away from the business side of the stuff and, and just, you know, drawing the cute little cats? Didn't you, I remember you saying you were drawing the stars or something. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, I was going to ask what you actually, what you drew for Connectables. Did you actually get your hands on any of the, the furry creatures themselves?
2: No, um, I was mainly put on there towards the end to help out mm. uh, for a few months. So I was just adding extra elements to pre-existing environments.
1: I just got this vision in my head because Connect still isn't a product I think I think is finished. I can imagine the studio is still, you know, getting new dev kits in and getting new uh just trials and uh of stuff coming in like, okay now this works because they've added this feature or I've taken away this feature.
2: I remember like specifically the voice there was meant to be a lot more voice work mm. in it. And I'd often hear, or oh, a lot of the time when I was working on Kinetomols, I'd just hear someone shout, David, David, <laughs> jump, 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 ju- jump, jump, jump. And that's all I'd hear all day. <laughs> uh, I think they were just exploring Kinet, I mean, as everyone was. Mm,
0: yeah. Uh, Presumably, you'd you'd have loved to get your hands on uh, Milo. But
2: uh, I did. I did
0: play Milo. How how was that for you? Um, it was similar to Knackimals, but with a boy instead of a tiger. Yeah,
2: it's very um, mini game based.
0: <laughs> still you played it that,
1: that's actually something to be proud of you played Milo because he's become yeah. some of a meme hasn't he so. something has got my
0: CV yeah should do <laughs> um, so uh, after Cambridge you then hightailed it across the planet again to uh, Longtail in where as you said Halifax Nova Scotia and uh, so getting pretty much up to date with all the things we can talk about anyway um not a game I would necessarily associate with you. Motion sports adrenaline.
2: Yay. Food.
0: What did you do on that?
2: Um, I did the the kite surf level and the skiing level. Yeah. Um, kind of worked on most of the environment within a small team.
0: And, but you, you say you've had a, even though it might not be, you know, you, the, the genre you choose, you've had a good time working there and working on that project.
2: Uh, it's a very limited project. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it, we had a short amount of time. Um, and the pipeline was sort of prob- problematic. But, you know, with what, what we had, we did a really good job. Yeah.
0: So you got satisfaction out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Do you, uh, now you've, you know, you've worked at several studios. Um, You've, you say you've gone on from, you know, merely doing textures, which is obviously easy. Anyone could do that to um, (laughs) building models and uh, being more involved. Is your intention to continue down this road and get, you know, get promoted or whatever to a, you know, lead designer, artist, whatever? Or, you want to take this career elsewhere from the video games industry.
2: Well, with regards to being promoted, I'm kind of put off that because if you're like I see lead artists, etc., and mm. they, you find the more promoted you are, the, the less artwork you do.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: Um, and I want to just stick with artwork. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of happy where I am right now. That's and great. with regards to your second question, um, it's quite common that people in the video games industry uh, find that they want to move on to TV or film work. Yeah. But that's, it's just not my thing at all. I'm just always going to stick in uh, video games. I sort of prefer to make art that people move around more than look at. I find that, like, fascinating. That's great. And it's just something I always want to stay with.
0: That's brilliant. It's really nice to hear somebody who's, you know, found their their niche and their vocation and is getting to do it. That's really cool. Well,
2: yeah, I mean, a lot of people use it as a stepping stone because video games, of course, is, uh, you know, real-time, so you have to create low-poly work whereas film and TV work is like sort of high-end
1: yeah, modelling.
2: So, yeah, a lot of people just use it as a stepping stone.
1: How hard is it to actually stay within the industry? Um, we hear a lot of layoffs, of course, certainly at the moment. Um, we hear a lot of temporary staff being brought in and taken off of projects, but you seem to have been on many projects for a long period of time and haven't really had these huge gaps in between so well well.
2: yeah the thing with that is that streamline studios worked on about 13 titles Mm -hmm. but some of those titles were just one month at a time because it was outsourcing
0: Mm.
2: i mean i managed five years there and then they shut down with frontier um i got laid off after eight months Mm. and i think it's Much worse in Europe at the moment, Mm. so I've kind of avoided a lot of that by uh, coming over here to Canada.
1: But it's it certainly seems a volatile industry. It's not something where you can get settled um, just within a a game studio. I mean, I assume that does happen for the for the lead programmers and and directors of these games. But it seems in in the job that you're in, it's very much okay. You're here to do the job. Uh, And thank you very much. Goodbye. And hopefully we have a new project for you in the future. we take your CV. Um, Is that not off-putting a little bit that you can't settle down? Or is that not where you worry you?
2: Um, It does at the moment because I'm wanting to settle down. I suppose when you're in your young 20s or whatever, I was much more open to the idea of just moving every few years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But now I'm wanting to settle down. I mean... The reason why you get a lot of... You know, in the a, like the AAA title sort of studios, mm-hmm. they have a lot of people sort of being asked to do overtime or, you know, just work crazy hours. But I wanted to come to, like, a smaller studio, so it sort of gets rid of that aspect.
1: Yeah, I can see that. You know, it's been a... I guess even on a smaller studio, you're a bigger cog in the wheel rather than a huge studio where you're just a small cog in the wheel somewhere and nobody really knows who you are, even though if you're working that, on that a bigger project. That was the problem
2: with, uh, front, like, Frontier. There's, like, about 200 people there, and mm. I just didn't feel like I
1: was making
2: any, able to make any change to it. So now I'm working in, like, a 40-person studio.
1: But, mm. but saying that, you do then have Gears of War, Overlord, and... Saints Row. I mean, there's, you've you've worked on some pretty prestigious projects, so I mean, that's got to look good on the CV, even if you uh, are just, you know, a very small part of.
2: And early on, that was a really important thing to me mm-hmm. was to work on AAA massive, you know, genre changing titles. But it now I'm more interested in just making games with good art, and I think you sort of have to when. You get older.
1: Well, because... I think that's where your career path's more coming down, you know, rather than just you know trying to be that big. Wow, look at me! You're actually saying, right? Well, I want to make a career from this, and you know, I have to move around. And sometimes smaller projects are, are just where you need to be.
2: Yeah, it's definitely perfect for me right now.
1: So, I mean, talking about moving around, obviously you you've worked in the UK and you're in Canada at the moment. Is there anywhere that you like to work in particular I mean do you want to to be more in America um, or do you actually just want to settle down somewhere for, uh, for a while is Canada somewhere you can see yourself staying
2: in? yeah I kind of like Canada I mean the main thing with Canada is that the game uh, companies don't get taxed they have
1: tax breaks so well, I think there was a story the- in, in the, the news today where we've lost 40% of our industry now to Canada this week. Yeah, oh. that's just
2: it you can't make a great living in the UK as a working in the games industry unless you're at the top. And as I said, I kinda of wanna stay as a just a standard artist.
1: Mm.
2: And if you do that in the UK, you just there's so much like competition out there that they can just afford to um have like small wages because there's always going to be people um applying for those jobs
1: but before we move on to some of your other um side projects we call them um <laughs> would you advise the game industry is it a good industry to get into i i you know i i know a number of people that are in it and they seem to have mixed opinions on it on a daily basis depending whether they're in employment or not but is it something you you think anybody listening to this podcast you know wants to get into even the art side of things, it's something well worth pursuing?
2: Um, If they're young and they are prepared to move around the world and they're just insanely passionate about it to the point where they'll be okay to work through till the early hours, then (laughs) yeah. (laughs) But you have to be just really dedicated.
1: How bad is crunch time? We always hear Uh, about it.
2: It used to be really bad when I was young. I mean, I don't put up with it now, but in the early days, I'd be. The company would actually provide mattresses. (laughs) Uh, There's like a few times when I was handing in work at six in the morning. It's quite bad, but when you're that young, you just want to succeed. And it's like. Any job in the game such as tree is like a mm-hmm. real bonus, so you just don't want to lose that.
0: So, uh, we're here with Adam Capone, here on Issue 16 of the Cana Ridge Podcast. We've talked to him all about his uh, professional career, and now it's high time. We had a look at uh, things which many of you may know him for more than his art, which are his, I don't know, side side projects, um, internet terrorism. Um, My first experience of you, Adam, I believe was very uh, on a very early episode of the joypod podcast um you sent them um some audio i think you were i think it was it was back to that uh or the thing you've returned to since the the sort of aspiring games designer concept basically um you were coming up with a Wii game called broombastic i remember it well and um and m- m- my i was fairly amused as <laughs> to who this day release patient was that they'd let on uh, the joypod podcast um, so how what inspired you to do that how did you first get involved with the joypod podcast
2: i remember when it first uh, they first released this episode that had no title that's it was right called uh, the podcast with no name i think mm. and at, at the time I just hadn't really experienced many video game podcasts. They were quite rare. Yeah. And this podcast I got quite excited about because it just sounded like a conversation between normal people. Mm. Wow. <laughs> and they just had this... Um, There's one episode where they just said, if you want to send in a MP3 of just something random, just feel free to. And of course I got some ideas and couldn't help it. So (laughs) I I threw in one of those ideas and it just naturally became to a point where they allowed me to have five minutes every episode. (laughs) Mm. And I would also really review their podcast
0: like yeah, I kind of found... on the rom forum, which is where you, you knew them from anyway, and it's where I found the, the link to the podcast as well. It was my first gaming podcast. So. Uh, yeah, you used to write these extended reviews, didn't you, of each episode?
2: Well, I thought it'd be funny because they've, only, they've probably only had about six listeners at the time. Yeah. So the idea of just doing this really <laughs> over, overbuilt. Sort of review that has timestamps, even (laughs) Uh, just seems so ridiculous.
1: How did they take it?
2: uh, They saw the funny side of it, thankfully.
0: I think they weren't quite sure at first if you were being serious or not, which is obviously something that you've kept with you throughout your um, career. I think that
2: made them intrigued,
0: Mm. yeah.
2: So that grew into love later.
0: yeah um you recently uh, sang a duet with uh, david on uh, one of the most recent issues after you managed to punk um the entire of twitter um luckily i in fact even though i'd been sort of told that what you were doing was a uh, kind of a prank um it was it was so extended and so well done that I started to doubt that information.
1: <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, I sent you many emails like, "Are you sure this is a joke?" Because this, <laughs> like, they seem to be going pretty far on Twitter. We're yeah, like, no, so what no, was no. that
0: all about, Adam? Um, started with the uh, the Christmas special that I was on. I believe. Right.
2: Yeah. It wasn't like it wasn't as intentional as probably people thought it was at first. I mean, the I thought it'd be. Funny to sort of go back to my old roots of, you know, really reviewing and criticizing Mm -hmm. a show. And I just, I kind of think it's funny, all these Christmas episodes that come out Mm -hmm. and do like four hour marathons. (laughs) So I started moaning about that. And then uh, it kind of just naturally became this sort of contrived argument. Mm
0: yeah you started sort of even you know to those of us who had been listening to joy pod since the start and knowing that you've been involved and you were good friends with those involved it's suddenly you were sort of saying you you know you've not changed the show it's still doing the same tired old things <laughs> yeah. it's been doing for for 5 years and whatever and yeah i think a lot of i think you got a lot of people um which was quite funny one of the the recurring things since since you started doing bits for Joypod and appearing on it, and uh, uh, you you phoned in when they, when they were on uh, talk radio, didn't you, and stuff like that, um, is that your input is divisive. Uh, Elmo, obviously, being Elmo, David takes it a long way when he's talking to you about it and says, you know, people threaten to unsubscribe if I ever put your bits <laughs> on there again and stuff like that. But, again, that's a humour that is based in some truth. Y- you must know that the things you do do people either get it like me it took a while but once i did get it i enjoyed it but for other people they're never going to get past and we've already had one comment on twitter about this show saying i won't be listening to that one yeah like you know we know that plenty more people will but Sorry. does that does that bother you does it affect you do you feel uh, or do you know that what you're doing is obviously challenging
2: yeah i kind of know a lot a lot of what i do it's just um, experimenting I just like to explore comedy as such. Mm-hmm. And basically, as long as I enjoy it, then I don't really care what other people think.
0: Wow. That's unusual because a lot of people say that. But yeah. generally people do. But, yeah, you, you do seem to be, you know, Teflon. And you don't seem to...
2: As long as there's, like, a... As, as long as most people say good stuff, then I find it you
1: know,
2: balances out the bad stuff. I get a lot more positives than I do negatives.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I think it's fantastic that JoyPod gave you that platform, though. Because, I mean, obviously with YouTube now, and there's many other projects you've you've done that have been very, very popular. But, uh, I, I mean, I obviously remember just hearing you from um, the JoyPod show, and at that time I had no idea you were a developer or anything. I was just like, who is this guy? And if I'm honest, because obviously you you left because you you moved to Canada, it was it was quite heartbreaking. I was like, oh no, it, it, you turned into my favorite my favorite thing of Joypod, and that's a bad thing to say because they will listen. But um, it you know I I like that diverse's nature. Um, I like the challenging uh, topics you brought up, and um, in particular Graham Hunter, who who was a character you created. Um, I always enjoyed his in- input, so. I mean, it's, it's hard if no one's listened to Joypod and, and don't know who Graham Hunter is. So try to explain who Graham Hunter was and why was he on Joypod?
2: Um, I was experimenting again with uh, the idea of having a co-host because all mm-hmm. these podcasts have co-hosts. And I sort of wanted my own co-host. And I tried to... Like... Just one day, I just experimented and slow, slowed my voice down 20%. <laughs> and and
0: the magic just, is gone right there. Yeah. <laughs> that's so that's what he did.
2: <laughs> just like the idea of like, talking to myself, but trying to pretend it's someone else. It's just there, experimenting at first, bit. it's just
0: catched on. There was satire in there, though, wasn't there? Because you made Graham Hunter. Uh, that you were exploring the idea of the kind of enthusiast core gamer and right, the casual yeah. gamer. He was
2: the represents most the casual gamer. Yeah, yeah. And Graham I so- everything.
1: <laughs> well, no, he's yeah. lethargic to everything or apathetic to everything.
2: Uh, I shouldn't say casual gamer. He's more. He likes the the famous games. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, right. Yeah. So you, he, he wants to play Call of Duty while you're talking I'm to him about to play Flower, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was interesting in those conversations that you were having ultimately with yourself. Is that um although like in real life you're you're obviously closer to the to the enthusiast gamer to yourself um you seem to be using that character to actually challenge the idea that maybe maybe those you know the call of duty brigade for want of a better uh glib phrase um actually you know they're kind of i don't know not maybe not having more fun but like without all that sort of attempts. Pretense and complexity, yeah.
2: I don't have anything against those games. Oh.
0: No, of course not. Um,
2: but yeah, it's kind of. I'm just fascinated with the. Sort of. This argument between those sort of players and. You know, is Call of Duty a good game? I kind of. I think that's like a multi layer to argument
1: What well, what is and
2: with this stuff i'm just exploring it
1: and so what is quite interesting though is because you're exploring that stuff um those two groups of people don't normally go hand in hand you don't you don't normally hear you know i don't follow many of those people that just play call of duty online um on my twitter feed for instance you know because you, you kind of fall within the same groups so to hear you have those conversations it was always actually quite eye-opening now sometimes people are, you know, just happy with the way they play stuff. Um, I mean, my favourite one um, has to be the the Miyamoto sketch that you did, where Miyamoto ends up underneath the table crying about making uh, Wii music, uh, and you tap him <laughs> on the head and say, "Here, here, it's going to be okay." And I, I don't know, I I probably listen to that so you know that sketch. A good dozen times it has to be one of my favorite ones and it's something i know that uh, both me and alex had, had really promoted on digital cowboys when we we're doing it because it, it to me it was this weird work of genius about this man who just you know ended up crying under a desk because his illustrious career had been falling apart to making wee music uh, and you had a lot to say in that and although it was wrapped up within this this graham hunter character there was a lot of truth uh, within that, sir. Uh, I wish
2: you still had that because I always delete my stuff.
1: I'm sure it can be found. Yeah. Mm. It's got to be out there somewhere. Well, it's on Joypod, isn't it, sir? It, yeah. People have that collection.
0: The concept for that, uh, as I recall, was probably in some way quite closely related to uh, the next project of yours I wanted to talk about, which was the uh, animation Nintendo A Sad Story. Uh, which, when did that come out now? Is it? A year
2: that ago, or was, more. Um, that was just over a year ago.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, for those who haven't seen it, I suggest you at this point go and watch it. Yeah. Nintendo: A sad story. Just uh, put it into YouTube, and there's a couple of links to it up there. Pause and come um, back
1: after ten minutes. It, it will make this much more.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's got many thousand views um well
2: oh. it kind of lost a lot because uh my youtube channel was uh suspended and so <laughs> at one point i had over four hundred thousand views. Amazing! now it's more like five
0: yeah i think i noticed i think it's the the two links are up there i've got about eight thousand views between them but yes it did go it went very large um so firstly uh, uh Am I right in thinking that the inspiration is a similar thing? Is it actually born out of your concerns about where Nintendo were or are heading as a producer of video games?
2: Um, There wasn't really like a massive agenda behind it. I I suppose, yeah, I mean, with that animation, the main thing is that I was fascinated with the argument between, you know, people saying that Nintendo destroyed gaming when they Mm. brought out the Wii, (laughs) which just seemed really, like, melodramatic. Yeah. So I I sort of wanted a way to sort of visualise how bizarre statement that was.
0: Uh, I think you managed that. Yeah, I mean, how
1: how do you go from that to what you produced in A Sad Story? Because, I mean... (laughs) To me it has influences well, in the, yeah. of Silent Hill or <laughs> Pyramid yeah. Head. Um and it's I mean it's it's pretty messed up. So how do you go from wanting to kind of make a, a semi statement to, to producing that?
2: Um Well, I made that when I was working at Frontier right. and I wasn't doing much creatively there. And I was just going home every night and just <laughs> Sort of in a depressed state, working on this tragic, bizarre animation. and it was trying to turn turn it into a, like a story at times, but the main thing was just to make it look interesting. I wanted to avoid doing the that there's a lot of Mario fan films out there. And most of them seem to just do the same thing, which is, you know, they'll show mushroom drug references or Mario with a gun or princess as a sexy whore Mm -hmm. or Luigi covered in blood. And I kind of really wanted to make um, a horror version of Mario, but without any dialogue or blood. That was the only sort of criteria that I set myself early on.
0: It's fantastic. So uh, um, how, uh, what's it, how's it made? What? Did, what's it made in? Did you have any assistance or is this entirely your own work? Uh, entirely my
1: own work. Very impressive. It's
0: just using 3D Max Photoshop
2: and a video editing software called Sony Vegas. Okay. Um, and uh, the soundtrack? That was, um, I kind of picked those songs quite early on. That was sort of, that's really what set the mood for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally.
2: And there's a lot of sound effects, such as a washing machine.
0: So why, if it's all your own work, did you credit it to uh, a pseudonym, Graham Young?
2: Uh, yeah, again, that's like a viral thing that I did for my Peter Mology account. account, yeah. where I kind of made up this story that Graham Young was a new animator at Lionhead mm. and right. he would stay behind at the studio every night uh, working on a personal project. It's like every few days you'd have, um, Molly put up, say a photo of a notepad with scribblings of Mario and a date. <laughs> so yeah, it's just exploring a viral.
1: So, I mean, it gained a lot of attention. It wasn't it destructoid that picked up, um, I think picked up at some point and uh, that made it go absolutely massive. But in regards of the credits into Graham Young, isn't it something, I mean, I I think it's a a really impressive work and I know many other people were very impressed with what you achieved, but wouldn't it have been a a better thing to kind of promote yourself to, you know, for somebody maybe making a horror game and thinking that actually he's quite an interesting young talent? maybe we want to contact him or uh, did you have any offers or anything come through like that from that?
2: Well, I think the main reason I didn't put my name to it was because a lot of the models and textures are really roughly made Mm. with With making this, I I wanted it to be something that I could just get my idea out there. I didn't want to be making really polished work because I sort of, do that at work anyway right so i'm making all this really rough stuff and if i was to put that in my portfolio under my name it would probably do me less favors
0: okay that that does make sense um so uh, the attention it got so you got your youtube account closed who who's, who's responsible for that
2: uh that was Lionhead. <laughs>
0: Okay, so you've been in trouble with Lionhead more than once, twice. Yeah. Okay. We'll come on to the second time. Um, did, as far as you know, did anyone at Nintendo see it? Um, not that I know of. Not that there would not, speak yeah. of. Yeah. Certainly I'm, not. I'm impossible.
2: sure Miyamoto seen it.
0: I'm sure. <laughs> he, mu- he must. I'm have yeah, he must. Convinced. Yeah. i think he must have done, and I reckon he probably would have liked it as well. It
1: probably brought him out from underneath the table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And um, going back to um sad story for a second, clearly and and even going back to Joypod, um clearly you you have a lot of ideas and I would even say scripts um in your head because um a lot of the Graham Young stuff was of Grey Hunter stuff was um very scripted out and um it it seems a, a shame in in some respects that that's just put towards art like you know i think a sad story had something to say i think a lot of the graham hunter stuff has something to say um so i mean in some respects i I guess i I wish you you could do more youtube stuff or have another appearance on the podcast somewhere just to kind of get what's going on in that head out a bit more um so uh, do you not feel like you can move into the industry just in that way a little bit or or other projects in that way, or are you happy enough just the odd YouTube video and and podcast experience?
2: Yeah, I certainly don't want to make a living from it. It's just me experimenting. Um, That's what I'm doing a lot with the Dougie Do account at the moment. I'm just releasing like a video every now and again, and it sort of allows me to do more content because... I mean, that character at the moment is doing like a prototype. So all the art is just blocks and cubes, and I can still sort of get my ideas and points across. But because it's all just so simplified, I can get that out faster. So that's something I'm exploring mm. at the moment.
0: Interesting. So let's rewind slightly before we get to Dougie. Uh, Peter Molyneux too. perhaps, I don't know, it's probably... Difficult to say whether it's been your most successful or um, commented on project. Uh, maybe a sad story. It's hard to say. But um, when did you kick off Pete Molyneux? Too, and why?
2: That was um, e three two thousand and nine. When he just after he did the Milo presentation.
0: Yeah, ripe, ripe for, ripe for um, satire uh, straight away. I mean, yeah, Pete Molyneux was already. You know, well known amongst enthusiast gamers as a figure of fun who promised the earth, the moon on a stick, and had all these fantastic ideas. But um, Peter Molyneux's actual Twitter feed, does that actually still run? Um, it, I, I think I unfollowed it because the irony was that your fake Peter Molyneux was infinitely more entertaining than the real one.
2: Well, he hardly writes anything eh? I don't think he's written anything for about three months.
0: No, and he's barely literate as well, which uh, which I find interesting. Um, his his sort of written English is really poor, which is sort of surprised me, for a man who's obviously you know I know it doesn't always go together, but he's highly intelligent. He's been making video games since the '80s, but his Twitter feed was just sort of diarrhea. Um, whereas the thing you created is fantastic satire and also just great but surreal humour.
1: I don't think he's going to satire himself, is it?
0: <laughs> well, no, no, <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, so all these many, many ideas that you've uh, come up with on Peter too 2, um, they just, is it, is it just brain farts from you? Or do you think long and hard before you tweet every, uh, anything under his name?
2: Yeah, I mean, I put a lot of control into what I put out there, and I'll I'll often like go back and delete the ones that I don't think are that strong, so that when people do find this uh, account, that they can go back and enjoy the rest of the tweets. Mm. Um, I come I come up with game ideas, just quite quite a lot, and I just enjoy sharing them. It, it's frustrating if you work in a studio. Like, if you come up with a good idea, you have to pitch it to the studio. Mm. Then you have to refine it. Then you have to pitch it to the publisher. Then if they give you the go-ahead, you'll spend years making it. And only six months before the game's release can you actually tell the world about your idea. But with this, with this account, I can just come up with that idea and just instantly get it out there. And I just love that.
1: And what's the reaction been to those, (laughs) most of those tweets?
2: Uh, Well, it's kind of hard to say, really. I don't really get any specific feedback. It's
0: more just retweets. (sighs) And mentions, you've been mentioned on, uh, I was listening to a, I can't even remember which podcast it was, but. You've been mentioned on most of the sort of big podcasts. Yeah, I think Giant Bomb
1: has places. Yeah, Yeah. we
0: can confirm. And been featured on some of the big blogs. I can't remember which ones. Maybe Uh, Kotaku Kotaku a lot. Yeah, Joystick. Maybe I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, Destructoid. Uh, Is that is is you know is that your motivation or is is that just a byproduct of you having fun? Hmm.
2: Well, I remember before sad story that one of my goals in life was to get on Kotaku (laughs) Uh, sad story did get on Kotaku but since then with uh Peter Molyneux I've had um about four articles on Kotaku wow uh both interviews or um, updates on the suspension
0: yeah so let's talk about that so uh having already offended, well, sort of not offended Lionhead, but crossed their path with Sad Story because you attributed it to their studio, basically. <laughs> um, of course, uh, earlier, oh, it was last year now, 2011, um, it seems weird because it had been running for two years or something at the time, but Lionhead finally, uh, I assume, reported the account to Twitter. Yeah, I
2: mean... For the first year or so, it had less than a thousand followers. Yeah, uh, and one day it just spiraled out of control. And like now, I'm just seem to be getting a hundred followers a day. What's it up to? Uh, 24,000. Nice, and Mm. the actual real Peter Molyneux is at 27,000. And yeah. that's my ultimate
0: goal. Yes. Is to be the real Peter <laughs> Molyneux. I think it's inevitable. You,
1: you are in content already, so. Yeah. Well, on the Twitter.
0: <laughs> so, uh, so what happens when you get your, your Twitter feed? Did, did you get an email or something from Twitter themselves?
2: Uh, it's a bit complicated because I've got, like, email accounts that are not working and they sent it to the email account that isn't working so it took a while to actually get any feedback as to what i needed to change
0: and but, uh, did, did, they, did they actually spell that out to you say right you can't carry on doing this because was it just not clear enough that it was a fake sort of thing
2: well they mainly linked to uh, their rules page from twitter but the main changes were the to change the bio because I didn't spell it clear enough that it's a fake, even okay. though it says, obviously, this prepared. is not the real Peter <laughs> Molyneux. That isn't enough, apparently.
0: So there was a little um, campaign, um, which I, I don't know if it actually had any effect on you getting it back or whether you just made the changes necessary, but uh, there was there was a little internet outcry when when Peter Molyneux 2 was silenced, briefly.
2: Yeah, that's true. I suppose that's when... I realised how popular the account was and how. Hate to say the word loved,
0: but <laughs> he was already Peter Molyneux at this point, wasn't he? Yeah. 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 So, because that was a change you made after somebody suggested it quite a long way into the the account. Yeah, originally
2: life. it was called Peter Molyneux too. Mm. Um, and since the suspension thing, I also had to change it to Peter Molyneux not. Yeah, mm. that was a username, but of course, in the Twitter feeds it still remains Peter Molly Do.
1: Once again, you're, you're very um, reluctant to put your own name on, on these projects. You know, it's you, you don't, I, I guess, promote yourself. Um, it, it's more well, I about... couldn't
2: put my own name on the Peter Molly new feed. That would be asking for disaster.
1: Do you reckon, it, is, is that the, the primary reason to, to kind of shy away from that is because it would probably lead to bad things within the industry if, if that stuff got out? Or bear in mind that everybody listens to Kane and Rinch show, so, you know. <laughs>
2: but it, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm sort of blowing my bluff here, aren't I? But <laughs> I just don't want to, like, spell it out. It's, you know, I mean, I'm sure people can find out who's behind these things, but I don't want it to be really Be the focus
0: of it. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, we're not we're not big enough to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's why I came on there. Yeah, <laughs> cheers.
1: And am I right in thinking you were Evil Garnet for a while? No,
0: no. That um, was a, that they said that on, on um, one of the, the podcasts. Last yeah. it was the last ever. The last ever one up. But I, I knew I knew who Evil Garnet was at the time. Is it who I, I think, think the, it still Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it is. Yeah. I don't think it's a secret anymore. Because it's long, long dead. Yeah, it's it was, dead, isn't it, yeah. It was David and Matt Murray.
1: Which ones, again, gain, yeah, garnered a, a fair bit of attention. And yeah. It's always funny when these accounts are, are mentioned on uh, these podcasts or this, the, the people that they're actually directly talking about. Um, it's always quite strange, this, this third-person type thing. But, uh, well, yeah, <laughs> I think that was that was justification yeah, when they ended it. They ended it at probably a good time. But I, I know a lot of people were very upset when Peter Mullen knew Account of Peter at the time was um, suspended, and it, I think it highlighted in a number of issues. I think that Twitter has with, with these dummy fake accounts because there, there seems to be a, a fair number of them. Although I think this one in particular seems to be the one that's in almost the most attention. So, it has to be congratulations to that.
0: But yeah, there's,
2: there's one guy that actually wrote a really good article, even though I don't remember it word by word, but. The general consensus was that by suspending it, they sort of did themselves mm-hmm. more damage.
0: Almost certainly, yeah. It's that classic, all publicity is good publicity thing. People may have found it easier to ignore if there wasn't a little furore around it. So yeah, it's classic. It's like, you know, getting best way to get a number one single is to get your record banned. In, not that that really happens now, but back in the day. That's that's what used to go on.
1: So, are any more game uh, developer celebrities up for the, the 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 treatment that you could think of, or is that highly secret?
0: Well, at the moment, I'm just
2: concentrating on this
0: Dougie D. He's a little. He's got a little of the Cliffy B in him. Mm-hmm. I, I would suggest. <laughs> well, that's what it's sort of based on—is Dougie D, Cliffy B. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. What's again? People listening, just follow both of these. Accounts, if you're on Twitter, but um, what's the sort of the difference in outlook and attitude from uh, between Dougie and uh, Peter Molyneux?
2: Well, the main reason I kind of created Dougie D was because with the Peter Molyneux account, there's just some things where I have to sort of hold back, mm. or I can't be too surreal. And with this character, I can because it's not tied to any real person. Mm. I can just do what I want and just really experiment with stuff. That was the main reason for making that character.
0: So, with all this stuff that you do, as well as your, you know, your day job of drawing quality art <laughs> for high-profile video games, um, you've I think you've kind of covered this. This is this is about you know. Um, expressing yourself and experimenting but is there is there an ultimate goal to do with all this creative output do you have a vision um or is this yeah basically to keep yourself sane and interested in life
2: yeah it's mainly just done just to keep myself interested it's like a side project yeah i don't really have any massive agenda i just want to just keep exploring stuff and I just, it's as i said before i just love consuming um creating more than consuming mm-hmm. yeah i think it's always been the way
1: well I, I i for one you know know that we wanted to get you on the show because i don't think a people knew enough about who you were actually uh, the real you you know that the video game producer the person was making stuff um, outside of the you know the 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 fun kind of side of you on Joypod, um, so I've really enjoyed the interviews. Actually, you know, work out who the real Capone Adam is.
0: Yeah, um, it's very good of you to come on. I know you know you find the sort of the concept awkward in itself, but mm. uh, um, but thanks for doing it. And um, yeah, one last question is I I I, I do think that people perhaps make assumptions about the kind of person you are based on mm-hmm. your delivery style. Um, I know a lot of people have always asked David Turner, you know, is he off his tits the whole time? Is is he off his face? And David says, no, he's not. Um, do you think that your, your very sort of, I don't know, almost soporific delivery um, perhaps disguises to people as to this, uh, this feverish creative mind that's going on?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, i just, it's always on, if I'm on Joypod, I'll just, it's so hard to explain. I I just prefer to not think much and just say what comes into my head (laughs) Um, and that's just more funny. Whereas this is just what I'm doing on this,
1: on this show is
2: just, it's not as fun, is it?
0: (laughs) It's... You couldn't Just do it every depressing. week. We, we grant you that. No. Okay. No, but uh, but well, I've I've found it very interesting, and uh, I hope our listeners have too. Um, although you know, yeah, the people who have already decided they're not into you may may have given this one a swerve, but I hope some of them haven't. I hope well, some of them loss. have tuned in. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, their loss, exactly. Uh,
1: I've I've met Capone in, in um, a pub in London at one of the Joy meets, and. uh Actually, no, it was... Uh, I'm not insane, am I? You're, you're not. It was actually at the uh, most popular girls on the internet meet when they came into London. Um, yeah, and <laughs> you're actually a really normal person. And I know that sounds ridiculous to say that to you, in, in you know, I guess, in the flesh, but um, no, you're a, you're a far nice person. And uh, I think I was slightly caught by surprise as well. Because you're respecting the, the, kind of, um, the kind of act, I guess, it, that you, you have on Joypod. And knowing that that can't be how somebody is actually in real life. And, um, I'm, I'm glad that you, you have that balance of both. Um, somehow. I
2: know if Dave, if David Turner's is listening to this, he'll be thinking, no, that actually no, that is isn't the real couple. Yeah, capo-
1: <laughs> yeah but, that's, but that's if we believe David Turner's is who he is in real life.
0: Yeah. Mm. He's a big fake. <laughs> Do you know? No, I'm
1: there. <laughs> Right. So that's it. That's uh, the interview over. um, of course you've got the job adam yes yes thanks you, you can come back
2: five minutes every episode <laughs> what
0: could I'm we possibly sure. do yeah <laughs> no offense adam but i'm not sure you're the right fit for this show as you pointed out we're very much more mature than uh, JoyPod and you know
1: yeah i'll just go back to Joypod. yeah they'll,
0: they'll ask t- me they'll take any old shit <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> mm. anyway um if you want to more find out more about kane and rinse you can head over to our blog at um please check out Darren Desmond Gargett's quick rinses series on the blog and via the YouTube channel uh, what is this week's
0: Saints Row the Third yes he's, he's streaking
1: the naked Darren <laughs> streaking yeah. around it's a sight to behold with his pixelated danglers um, we are part of the character select network so please join in the, cons- uh, the discussion at the forums which can be found at characterselect.net forward slash forum you can follow us on twitter that doesn't quite have the same amount of followers as uh, Not yet, no. Well, Peter Mullen do. But um, that can be found at, at and Rince, um Emails at com. Like us on Facebook. Please like us on Facebook. And, of course, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review and a rating. They're all very welcome.
0: Indeed. Uh, So only remains for me, Leon Cox, to say a huge thank you to Adam Capone for giving up his time all the way over there in Canada to let us know what the world is all about. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. You're welcome. And uh, we'll be back on issue 17, where we'll be talking about Halo Combat Evolved Anniversary. Until then, Goodbye.
2: For fin- What you were mine